This episode is brought to you by Speroni. Revolutionize your shop floor with Speroni, where cutting-edge technology meets craftsmanship. Elevate precision, amplify productivity. Speroni. Experience, tradition, the future. Hello and welcome back to the Manufacturing Culture Podcast, folks. I'm your host, Jim Mayer, and we've got an incredible show for you today. But first, don't forget to check us out at manufacturingculturepodcast.com. You can also find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram to stay completely updated with all of our latest content. A huge shout out to our sponsor, Speroni, for their ongoing support. And guess what, folks? Today, we're recording right here at WIMTS 2023. Now, are you ready to meet a true manufacturing legend? Our next guest is basically manufacturing royalty. With roots so deep, they've almost hit a century. Drum roll, please, for Mr. Terry Iverson. You want credentials? Oh, Terry's got him. He was the president and CEO of Iverson and Company, powerhouse in machine tool distribution. That's right, folks. Four decades of shaking hands, making deals, and changing the game. You know what they say? The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. His family's been in the biz so long that in 2025, they'll hit 100 years of manufacturing greatness. But wait, there's more. This guy doesn't just sit in an office. No siree. Terry's pounded the pavement, speaking at schools, serving on advisory boards, and helping pave the way for the next generation of manufacturing superstars. Talk about paying it forward. What do you ask? Well, Terry met his soulmate, Kathy, in junior high, and they're still going strong, with three adult kids and eight grandkids. As for his intellect, he sharpened his wit studying mechanical engineering at the University of Wisconsin-Madison and Marquette University. Oh, and did we mention he's a published author? Yes, he's penned books aimed at changing perceptions about manufacturing careers. But he didn't stop there. He founded Champion Now and even started Camp Champ to get kids hyped about manufacturing. We're talking about mentoring, skill building, and even making pens on tabletop CNC machines. Blows my mind. So strap in, listeners. You're about to get a master class in manufacturing from a guy who lived it, loved it, and lit the way for the rest of us. Mary, welcome to the show, and congrats on your recent transition from Iverson and Company to the new leadership of De- Dewan Lieber. We can't wait to hear all about your journey and what the future holds. Let's get this show on the road. Terry, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jim. I don't, I don't know if I can stand all those accolades. Uh, they're all true, but when you put them together and, and you say them the way you did, I'm like, wow, who is this guy? Where Where is he? <laughs> That's awesome. I love, uh, I've told every guest that I do this with, my favorite part of this podcast, pardon me, is actually writing the intros for my guests because I get to make something and create something that I've never gotten to do before, right? I've always been a salesperson who was given this talking points. So this gives me the opportunity to be creative in a way that I've never been able to. I love it so much. Um, so I'm glad you enjoyed it. Terry, um, tell us about your journey in this industry. I mean, you've been in this industry for 40 years plus at this point. Um, Iverson & Co. has been super successful. Um, You've now successfully started to transition starting in June. But take us back. How did your family get into this? Talk about the familial history in this industry and what drew you to the industry uh, to, to kick it off your journey. Well, uh, to start with, uh, and everything started with my grandfather. My grandfather back in the 1920s, Harding. Located in Chicago. Yep. My family's been associated with Harding pretty much forever. And he, his, his father had passed. He wasn't the oldest, but he had to actually earn income to, to support the family. Wow. He had brothers and sisters and his mom, and he became the breadwinner, even though he wasn't uh, the oldest child. So he literally started sweeping floors and got a job. You know, the depression was right in that. Time frame things weren't overly uh, prosperous in that in those years, 
And so uh, what they realized is that he was really pretty good in math and science. Okay. And, uh, and that, that topic will come up, you know, in my journey later. So all of a sudden they said, well, look, you're sticking the floors, but clearly, you know, engineering, he didn't have any formal education. So he started getting involved in back around, that was in 1925, as we alluded to. And then 1931, Hardings was bought out by a company, a college company in uh, New York, upper state, upstate New York. And they moved the machine division out to New York. Yep. And they asked three people to go in. And he was one of the three, but he was the only one to the client. Okay. And uh, he just couldn't take his family and uproot them and, and, and have them all move you know, simultaneously or leave them when he's the red one. So that's how we got started as a distributor. Got it. And so we rep- he, when I say we, he represented uh, Hardings in the Midwest in the beginning of uh, 1931. So that's the roots of our company. Fast forward, my dad got involved in the company in about the late 1950s. I got involved in the company around 1980. And here we are, flash forward to 2023. And... When I was a young person, I actually grew up in, in Florida. My parents had split when I was young. And I initially went to Florida State thinking that, you know, I don't want to go into the family business. And I was far enough removed from my dad on a, on a growing up standpoint since I was six. So it wasn't that I was so close to it. And then after my second year of college, I'm like, all right, wait a minute. I don't want to be, I don't want to be a, photographer you know there's there's only so many on the sidelines of nfl sidelines yeah even though that's probably what i wanted to do psychologist i don't want to do that that's the people's problem day in and day out and then i'm like you know i'm really i took ap physics ap calculus pretty good in math and science why am i not going down that path so as you alluded in the intro i did go to madison for a couple terms went back to florida got engaged back to, to uh, Wisconsin, went to Marquette after we got married, uh, worked at my uncle's shop in Wisconsin, which at the time was called Custom Products. Okay. And he had built that company at the time up to about 150 people. Wow. He bought it indirectly from Russ Gilman. Everyone in Wisconsin knows who Russ Gilman is. He's a pillar in the community and, uh, or was, and, um, he bought it with five people, built it up to eventually to 750. But at the time, I joined the company of about 150. And then my dad approached me when I was about six months in. Hey, do you want to join the family business and go into machine tool sales? Yeah. And I almost told him no on the spot. I mean, if it wasn't for my wife, Kathy, you know, saying, what, you know, what's your problem? Why wouldn't you say yes? So I'm like, man, you don't know how difficult my dad is to work for. I mean, he's... His standards are insanely high. And uh, people might say that about me, but whatever. <laughs> not, not to the degree of my dad. So anyway, that's how I started. That's how uh, the family business got started. I was very, very blessed to have a lot of uh, good employees, as, as was he. I was very, very blessed to learn how to be a good salesperson, uh, taking the engineering and science background that I had in math. And then taking my personal traits of communication. And uh, I, in my books, I call myself a basically a, I'm addicted to being a social, a social being. If I'm yeah. not like a social addict. So the thought of being a mechanical engineer and either sitting behind a computer or on a draft board, I'm like, yeah, I can't do it. Yeah, I get that. So tell us about the, the cultural journey of Iverson and Co. before we jump into your more recent. Uh, adventures that you've been on. Um, when you took over for your dad, where would you say the culture was internally at Iverson and Co? Well, like anything, I don't ever believe, and I'm, I'm not a black and white guy. I tell my kids all the time that you know, even blacks, the darkest suit of green. Sure. And even white is the whiter shade. Uh, but the culture, I think, was a lot more old school and I tried to bring you know, the computerization element. Yeah. You know, my dad was in the, in the land of automatic machines, manual machines. Yeah. Uh, but there was a lot of similarities, too. Yeah. Uh, I w- had a little bit of a softer tone. 
and my dad, but dad, you know, everyone always said my dad was tough, but fair. And I, and I would agree with that. Uh, he was a little tougher on me. So I tried to be not quite as demanding as he yeah. was, but nonetheless, I did learn, in my opinion, the right way to do things. Yeah. And uh, I tried, I mentored a lot of young people. So some of which are little throughout the, uh, the show here today. No kidding. Yeah. Awesome. yeah there's several people that uh, have worked for me. And uh, and they would probably say the same thing about me. They shared a story about one of my salespeople that you know just got out of a great call and was all excited. Probably at three thirty, and I'm like, "So where are you stopping now? I mean, you're not passing it in. That's just one good call. Three thirty, you got you know four thirty, baby. You got to make calls right to the end. So anyway, someone shared that with me yesterday, which I thought was probably typical of me. <laughs> But as far as the culture, uh, you know, I, I think I, I enhanced the culture a little bit. I think in some ways I didn't do as good a job as my dad. But, you know, those are different times. We were uh, definitely a bigger player, and, and we had our challenges over, especially in recent years. And so I'm just proud that, you know, that I was able to do what I could for the employees, uh, do what I could for our customers, yeah. and uh, and then keep plugging, you know, 2023 which was which was a challenge yeah well the last three years alone the challenges that that our industry the world has faced uh the people in this industry have faced has been astronomical right so i can't imagine having a business of your magnitude and having to weather that storm it, it had to have been tough um what one thing i'll interject not to interrupt Jim, but my dad, is, is, as old as my dad was at the time, right? Yeah. Um, the one thing I learned is a small business has to pivot and be really good at it. And I think he did an exceptional job at that. And I think I was forced to do either as good or better job. Yeah. But I have to, have to say kudos to our employees because you know what? They have my dad's back and they have my back. That's awesome. And and, and I'm hoping they'll have Glenn's back as the new owner. And I, I trust they'll say, well, but, you know, without good people, you know, and that's more important today than ever. You know, for 43 years, I've heard the same thing. It just got you know, louder and louder in that, you know, we have to find more talent. We have to find more skilled talent. And, and the, what I tell people is, I say, look, worry about the talent later. Yeah. Find people that are ethical, integrity-based, honest, and hardworking. And then just make sure they have that. Yeah. And then it's on you to make sure that they can become the skilled employee you want. Absolutely. I, I, I mean, to kind of expand on that, Terry, my whole take on culture is culture is just simply the alignment of values of the organization and the, and the values of the people. So if you start hiring based on those values, not necessarily on skill or aptitude, right? Aptitude is is big, right? But maybe not skill uh, as the need, the driver for this, which I think so many companies have been doing for the last five, 10 years because of the shortage of people. There, We'll just take anybody who can fog a mirror and can use this, you know, vertical mill. Um, I think that if we simply break it back down to what you're saying, hire based on values. If you value integrity, if your organization values integrity, hire based on that, then train that person up, right? Um, but so often we're trying to get people in the door at young early stage career wages, but we want 15 years of experience, right? So that, that creates a dichotomy that's really tough for people to, to weather the storm, right? Um, you're not hiring based on values. That's why we see turnover. When you hire based on values, you see less turnover, right? So I think that just builds off of what, what you're talking about there, right? Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, if I look back, because I started running the company when I was 26. Yeah. My dad went through cancer surgery and said, look, I've done this long enough. Um, 
You've been on the road in Wisconsin. You're in Illinois now. We're in the business. Now start acting like you run it. Yeah. And I told him I did not want a title, you know, because that's just going to hurt. Yeah. I'm the son of the boss. He was the son of the boss. And uh, a title can just, you know, really get in your way. Sure. And so I didn't take a title probably for, oh, my God, another dozen years. And uh, but that being said, when I go back, when I didn't trust my gut and those, you know, character uh, elements that you can't teach. Yeah. Honesty, integrity, uh, work ethic, and uh, and diligence and, and those type of things, which a lot of people talk about now. And the one the time that I went against my guts, it didn't work out. So my dad always thought, and my grandfather always taught him, to always think long term. Yeah. And you know what? It's a short-term world we're in right now. And People that are going to persevere are the people that take long term. Yeah. So, and you know what? It costs it costs a lot to do that. Yeah. So you got to be willing to sacrifice profit, and and uh, not everyone's going to sign up for that. <laughs> but sacrifice profit for longevity and for uh, lasting staying now. Yeah. Awesome. So this latest transition, uh, it's a big move. What led to the decision? To, to sell and, and exit the, the organization? Well, um, you know, I'm, I'm probably going to be affiliated with the organization for much longer than the year that I signed up to mentor the, the new owners. Yeah. But, you know, one of the things that I felt very strongly about, Jim, is, you know, I was blessed to be the third generation. Yeah. And from the third generation to last and then successfully get into the next uh the next ownership, whether it be family or not family, there's less than 1% to do that. Wow. And uh, I think to get to the third generation is like 20% less. Yeah. But to get it past the third generation is less than 1%. And not that statistics mean anything, but to take a 92-year-old gem and to literally close it down, which is the only option I had, I'm like, yeah, that's not me. Yeah. And you know, I've never run the business without uh, dollars and cents. I've, run, I've, you know, I've been taught by my, my father and, and his father before him that you really make decisions based on, on you know, the character uh, buildups that your foundation of your company yeah. uh, and all the people that you're hiring. So that's sometimes maybe initially is hard, but once you get used to it, you're like, it's the right thing to do. Yeah. But that being said, you know, I, I looked, did a soft search for probably 10 years and finally found the line and, and he's the right guy. Okay. Uh, he's the right guy because he believes in legacy, history. Uh, he believes in, in a lot of the character that you and I talked about. And, uh, and he wants to do things that I couldn't do. Sure. For our, our, not necessarily our customers, he's going to do the same thing we've always done, but he's going to try to do more for the employees that the last 10 or 13 years. Yeah, awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> so talk to us about this uh, transition, Terry, into Champion Now. How did this all come about? Uh, how did How did this organization start with you and and what's that journey been like for you well it's been a journey just like any any success or failure story either one it's always a journey um but i started in the mid 90s focusing a lot on education yeah um one of my counterparts that sold the same type of equipment that i did you know made a made a uh focus on it and i like I like that. Yeah. Um, the other, uh, Harry Moser, who I'm sure you probably yeah. interviewed. I haven't yet. I haven't gotten Harry on. Oh, yeah. He's on my short list. Harry, Harry inspired me in the, in the mid-1990s. Okay. And, and he got me speaking to young people. Yeah. And then that led to me selling to a lot of technical schools and high school. Yeah. And then that led me to speaking to more young, young people in schools. And then eventually, I got on probably 20, 30 high school advisory boards, 
five to 15 uh, different technical college and community college advisory boards. And then I joined the TMA Education Foundation. Uh, Brian Albrecht from Wisconsin yeah. from Gateway, who retired from Gateway. Uh, I was at the CTE Education Foundation in D.C. Okay. And then I got involved, the MHC got me involved in FLAIT, which is down in Florida. And so I, it, just, it was kind of on my way to D.C. to meet with Brian. And I'm like, you know, I got to kind of brand this yeah. and get some, some framing around it. And so I, I'm sitting on a plane, do a lot of work on a plane because someone with ADHD, if you're locked in a cylindrical tube for four hours, two hours, 13 hours, you get really creative. And uh, so I took a napkin and I'm like, change, manufacture, perception, thought, DMP, chance, wait, American or advanced, champ. And then, uh, so when I got champ figured out, then I'm like, champion, inner nation. I'm like, wow, like that it. actually works. Yeah. And champion is such a, a great term. Yeah. And it's it's more used now than it, than it was 10 years ago. And it will be more used going forward, uh, just the term itself, that that's when I decided to call champion now, champion now. Yeah. And then in 2012, yeah, 2012, I actually incorporated it as a 501c3. Okay. And then in 2013, literally, back to that, you know, I'm a, I'm a plane for uh, 13 hours going to Taiwan. I'm like, you know, it really, really stink if either I die or I retire and I don't use all these connections, all this information. So why wouldn't I, as part of my obligation to the industry, that my family is soon going to be able to celebrate 100 years, why wouldn't I try to help others? Yeah. So I, during that plane ride for 13 hours, I wrote 43,000 words. And I sat on a... On a laptop or by hand? On a laptop. Wow. And uh, fortunately, overseas planes have the flight. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, several people, uh, one of the Flint boys uh, out of Georgia, they're friends of mine. One of them said, are you writing a book? I go, I don't know. Never read any books. I have no idea. But... At that point, I said, you know what? Um, 43,000 words. No one, no one wants to hear it just from me. Yeah. Regardless of what I have to say. And then I started pulling in either relatives or associates from business or uh, friends from Florida. Yeah. And, you know, I got a lot of people that are pretty interesting, fascinating people. Yeah. And, uh, and I brought in mentoring and parenting into the first book. Cool. And my concept there was if I could get people through mentoring and parenting to be interested, and then just as a byproduct, learn about manufacturing, yeah, man, all the better. Absolutely. So that's how Champion Now came about, and that's how the first book came about. Awesome. I love that. That's great, man. Um, what was the name of the first book? Finding America's Greatest Champion. Walk us through the premise. Well, the premise was that people just don't know. Yeah. So you have to find it. And America's Greatest Champion, I define it in many ways, but the initial way is manufacturing is our greatest champion. Yeah. Well, then you can also, and I wrote about this, uh, I wrote it during uh, the Me Too movement, and I'm like, I'm like, you know what? Why are there so few women in our industry? Yeah. And, and so I define the female gender in the workforce, specifically the manufacturing work, workforce, is also America's, or it should be America's greatest yeah. So I define it several ways. Awesome. Our youth, when I talk about mentoring and parenting, I talk about our youth is our greatest champion. Yeah. And so, so that's the premise of the book, and it addresses educators, industry members, students, and parents. Okay. Great. Uh, you've recently uh, released a second book, right? Uh, within this year. I don't know exactly when. It was earlier this year. Yeah. Um, great book. I read it. Actually, I have my daughter read it, who's 13 as well. Um, she is very into theater. She found it very interesting. It's quite a compliment. Yeah, so it, it's it's a very dynamic book, Terry. Um, so talk, us, talk to us. I don't want to be the one to talk about your book on here. Tell us about this latest book. Well, um, when I wrote my first book, and 
trust me, I mean, we'll, we'll go back to my ADHD. You need to write a book, that's a big deal. I can't even read a book. Really? I, Are you audio? Uh, I should, as much as I, I, I drive, but I usually talk on the phone and sell. Yeah. But, but that being said, um, my wife, when I wrote the first book, like that with ADHD, which I have for sure, um, you know, do it, that's a challenge. Yeah. And so she said, well, Terry, you need to write four books, one for each audience. I'm like, just let me try the writing. So when I decided, okay, this could be a thing. Yeah. Now, I enjoy, I do enjoy writing. I will say that. I've always enjoyed writing. Yeah. I didn't enjoy English. enjoyed writing. <laughs> and so the second book, I literally directed to students and parents. Yeah. The biggest disconnect in our country, Jim, right now, as it, as it applies to manufacturing and our new workforce that we need and we're not getting, is the communication between the student and parent. Yeah. And neither one has any perception that's accurate about manufacturing being an option or even on the table. Yeah. So the book, as you know, is, is two books in one. They're inverted to each other. Yep. And so that has two front covers. Yeah. And the front covers are almost mirrored to each other. That was the whole creative process. Black and white, if I remember correct, right? A little yin and yang action going on. I like it. And uh, I'm, I'm actually extremely proud of the cover design. Yeah. I thought you know, it has some, some some of your logo, you know, remnants of it in the in the front cover. And so the front page is for the parent. And I was so blessed to get the CEO, Barbara Humpton from uh, Siemens, uh, Siemens USA. Yeah. She has a testimonial on the front cover. Yep. And so what it's designed for is a parent to read it and literally flip it over and hand it to the child, or the student to read it, flip it over and hand it to the parent. Right. And in the middle, Jim, which I'm sure you know, are questions for one to ask the other. Yep. All about what should I do for my career? Yep. Uh, what is my aptitude? What am I good at? What is this thing called manufacturing? And do I go to college? Yeah. Can I afford college? Can my parents afford college? Right. And you know what? The biggest the biggest thing that came out in writing the book was General Motors said, We're not gonna we're not gonna require a four year degree for every gosh darn position we hire. And uh, one of my dear friends, Lisa, texted me and said, Terry, did you see this article? So I put it in. Yeah. And uh, and that, that speaks positive. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, and the one you know, there's people like me that have to have, you know, in interconnectivity when they read. If, yeah. they, if they read. When they read, yeah. When they it. read, if they read. And so I have QR codes that lead to videos yep. on my my website, uh, Champion L website, so they can see a digital element if they're challenged like I am. Yeah, that's awesome. I love it. I, and I, for us, just to share a little bit more of our journey with it, it sparked conversations that we hadn't had with her yet, right? Um, Perfect. Which is, I think, what you were trying to do, but it was... It made us think as parents differently about the conversations we're having about her future, right? And, and because I think so often, and a recent guest and I talked about this, how so often kids are asked at such a young age, what do you want to be when you grow up? And that then follows them and defines them for 15, 13 years after they answer that question, after they draw on a, a piece of white paper in crayon what they want to be when they grow up. And that then defines the rest of their journey, right? With so, no resources for it at all. Zero resources, right? So I think that as parents, not necessarily only in manufacturing, because I love this industry, right? But I know that my daughter may not be interested in this. I know my son probably will be interested in the robotics and automation side, right? So different than the the machine shop and precision side that I love so much, but it's still in this industry, right? Sure. But it's just, we need to have those different conversations with, ch with our children throughout their entire childhood about how they are perceiving they are changing and their needs and wants are changing for different futures. Am I kind of hitting the nose on that one? Yeah, I and mean, the one thing I would add is let's take your daughter with the theater yeah. interest, right? I mean, 
One of the things we do a terrible job at in manufacturing is conveying the industry. Well, there's a need for, you know, I talked to MATC probably probably 13 years ago or thereabouts about shows in for manufacturing. Yeah. And through uh, Pro, who I interviewed my second book, sounds like he might have a, a show coming up or yep. two. Yep. So there are what people don't realize is there's a lot of things in manufacturing. There's accounting in manufacturing, there's sales in manufacturing. There's, um, you know, there could be theater ties, yep. acting ties, Absolutely. and sound and podcasts. And Absolutely. So, point being is that there are connectivity that you can be impacted by manufacturing and not be on the shop floor yeah. and not be necessary that there's sales positions in manufacturing. Yeah. So, People don't realize that. Um, you know, the one story I have to say, I was speaking at Oakton Community College down in Chicago. And I was supposed to speak to what I hope to be dozens or hundreds of parents. And there was only five people. Oh, wow. And, and, and this is one of the things that led me to, re- to write this second book. Because right. I have to reach a parent. Yeah. I have to. Yep. It is my goal in life going forward yep. that I reach the parent. In Europe. There's a whole different persona yeah. about how manufacturing is perceived and the interface between a child and a parent about, okay, what are you going to be when you grow up? It looks entirely different. Does it really? It does. And the apprenticeship program, as much as we're trying to build it back up in the U.S., which we're doing a great job, the German-American Chamber of Commerce yep. is doing a great job. However, the culture yeah. in the culture in Europe and Germany and Switzerland is different than our culture. And that doesn't mean it's better or worse, but as it pertains to manufacturing careers, it's better in Europe than, than ours. Yeah. But that doesn't mean our culture is bad. worse in other yeah. way or bad in any way. Yeah. But this lady, back to this mom that came up to me, one of the five parents I did talk to, she came up to me literally in tears. And I'm like, Man, I hope it wasn't something I said. She goes, no, it was all about witness. And I'm like, I'm sorry? She goes, no, you give me hope. Oh. I thought I failed my son. I thought I failed my children. And what you're telling me is because I can't afford to send them to college, that hope is not lost for them. Yeah. And I'm like, I go, that's awesome. That's... I said, and I said, and it's true. Yeah. So if there's any reason why I wrote this book, besides my life's insistence, that I got to write to you know to to more of a narrower audience. Yeah. It was that woman coming up to me and said, "Oh my gosh, I never knew." That's awesome. Too. And, and if I can help parents like that and young people getting into the industry, which anyone can at this show can tell you, I've hired a lot of people into our industry uh, as much or more than anybody in the industry in the distribution side. Yeah, and brought them in. Sometimes I kept them in our, our company. Sometimes I wasn't able to. Yeah. But they found success at other companies for whatever reason. And so case in point, that's what I want to take as I exit the family business. I want to make an impact in this country uh, like Harry Moses. Yeah. And I want to help, you know, the, the moms that came up to me or the young lady at MATC that came up to me and says, I want to be a welder. Well, my parents don't want me to. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I've, I've interviewed a couple of young people that um, on the show, one of which, before we recorded, told me the story of how her mom and dad have no idea that she's even in advanced manufacturing classes. Uh, and she doesn't feel like she can tell them because of their perception of what manufacturing is. And so she is keeping her passion a secret from them. And I said, well, how long is that sustainable? And she said, well, I don't graduate for another two years. <laughs> and she I said, needs the book. yeah, she needs a book. I, I interviewed her before. I'm going to reach back out. She's local in Phoenix. So I'm going to reach out. Uh, I'm going to give her my copy since my daughter and I have already read it. Um, but yeah, I, and then I hear other stories from, uh, young women and men that I've interviewed on this podcast whose lives have been changed because of these programs. They were people who 
walk through school depressed, anxious, social anxiety, um, not feeling like they belonged or connected anywhere. And they stumbled into a welding class or a machining class and all of a sudden felt like they belonged and they, they felt at home and they started to not feel as depressed, not feel as anxious, start to make friends with people there in the class. Like this industry can do so much, not just for the economy, because it really is a backbone of our economy. Uh, it's the reason we have a middle class is this industry, but beyond that, the mental health benefits that the young people can get from this, they're so plugged into phones right now, the serotonin's going off every time they get a like or somebody reposts or whatever, getting them back to this manual, like, hey, I made this type of mentality that's where we got to get them back to, right? Sorry to go on a soapbox there. I don't like doing that with my guests because this is about you, not about me. But uh, it's just, it's such an important industry. And, and we just, so many people talk about wanting to make change. What I admire about you is you're making change, right? It's one thing when shop owners say, we can't find enough people. We need to build a stronger apprenticeship program. But then a lot of them don't do anything with that, right? So I really admire the fact that you're out here and you're doing it. You're working with the Andrew Crows. You're working with people to make these things happen. So kudos to you. No, no. Well, first of all, thank you. And and I, I don't reserve all the, the phrase that you're giving, but, you know, making a difference. That's all I want to do. Yeah. And, uh, and going forward. You know, when I when I talked to the first high school class that I spoke to, I'm like, all right, that was great, but that's just one high school class, yeah. and and so it it's all about having the resources and the information. So what I try to do with Champion Now, what I try to do with each book, is elevate other people's stories. I love it. Um, you know, my first book, I had two podcasters. Now I've been so lucky, uh, two podcasters in the book. Now I'm so lucky that I probably know 40 podcasters and and all of them are doing their niche that they fit in in their audience. Yeah. And so the family's growing. Yep. And that's what needs to happen. Yep. And so uh, the one thing I have to point out also is, you know, I said first book, the B2 movement was going out. Yeah. Well, the second book, the racial awakening was coming out. So I say my second book, and I talk a lot about it, and I try to preach it people like through yeah. and others, um, in that there's too few people of color in our industry. Absolutely. And, you know, there's that segment, if no other reason, is as media as any other part of the segment of the population for more opportunity and more uh, mentoring. Yeah. And if they just knew. Yeah. I mean, Drew's story, how he got in manufacturing is awesome. Oh, it breaks my heart every time I hear it. I mean, it's an amazing story. It is. It yeah. is. So, you know, if I can elevate other people's stories yeah. in the media, in education, in manufacturing, in mentoring, people can identify, well, like, wait, wait a minute, that could be me. Yeah. Or I can be the one elevating someone else's voice, or collectively, we're so much more powerful and impactful if we work together instead of Absolutely. just living in our own little cul-de-sac or on our uh, dead-end street. Yeah. Let's get on, on you know, Champion Now is always designed to be an on-ramp to an expressway. Yeah. And that's what I hope to accomplish. I love it. I love it. So talk to us about Camp Champ uh, because that aims to go even younger, right? You're, you're aiming to my daughter's age and, and my son's age, right? That that middle school uh, time in, in children's lives, I think, is what it's aimed for, right? Tell us a little bit more about it. Well, my uncle, I'm told by my son, one of my sons, that my uncle gave a pen to my son that been manufactured and maybe had his name on it or had, you know, the company name on it. And he remembered that since he was 12 years old. Yeah. And... 
So we came up with this concept where tabletop CNCs, which I think is a way to get more people into manufacturing. Yeah. And we came up with a concept. Uh, I tried a camp down in Florida where I took my hard bus just to move equipment for $10,000 or more. My guy, that's not very sustainable. And I had 10, and I had literally had 10 students. So I'm like, all right, there's a better way. So I came up with the tabletop CNC that I bought. I put it on a scissor, scissor flip on wheels. Yeah. And, and I came up with the help of my son doing these camps in schools or at manufacturers. Yep. And then here's the twist. We make pens, we make cases, and then we laser engrave the name on a plate of the student. And here's the caveat that I think really speaks to sustainability and for the future is we have the high school kids in the manufacturing class mentoring the middle school kids. That's so cool. And so fast forward, the middle school kids become the high school kids, become the mentors to the next middle school kids. Yep. And, or young people. And so they go home and they have a pen in a case. Yep. Laser engraved name on it. A champion now logo on it or a sponsor's logo, whatever. Yeah. With a pen inside that they saw being made at a CNC and they assembled. Wow. Now we have potentially inroads to some manufacturing without a big secret. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, how do you, uh, communities get something like that set up? Um, how would a, I know I've, volunteered and i've already heard the answer to this but how do i get something like that set up in in arizona well first thing you have to do is you know, have to get a host or, or a person you know at the helm so to speak and then it's just a matter of you know i did buy a second set of equipment and i also bought the manufacturing rights it's a you so once again it's not all about dollars and cents and you know Making sure, I mean, you got to pay for it, obviously, yeah. but you got to think long term. So, long term, I could replicate this in different parts of the country. Yeah. And that's what my hope is. And then I hope I can get to the point of videotaping the process, setting it up, you know, because it's all programmed. The whole point is it's turnkey and you don't have to start from scratch. Just unpack it, install it, and hit cycle start. And then start let the uh, the perceptions change as, as it goes. So uh, then, then getting sponsors to you know try to make sure that costs are covered. Yeah. And uh, we do some really nice long sleeve shirts and champion now is on one side, and the lead sponsors on the other, long sleeve shirt, and then we have probably five to ten sponsors on the back. That's awesome. And and then ideally in a perfect world. I have one for every every one one set of materials and camp champ for every state. Absolutely. Well, I want to volunteer. Everybody, you're hearing it first. I want the Arizona camp champ. Uh, when you get ready to send it out west, let me know. Uh, I want at least a part of this. I don't know uh, if. I, I know there are probably other people better to run it than me, uh, but I want to be a part of it, even if it's a logo on the back or on a sleeve. I'd love to be a part of it. Never say there's someone better. <laughs> the person that steps forward and says, I'm I'm willing, that's the better. That's the best person. That's got the it. Best person. I got it. I like it. Um, so, Jerry, what's, we're coming up on, you know, 45 minutes here. What's, what's the biggest change that you've seen in the industry uh, in in your time that, that you've spent? Well, the biggest change for the detriment is that so many people didn't go into it. That's one biggest change. Yeah. Um, and that started in, in the first recession that I, that I lived through when people said we were going to be a service-based economy, which I just like, oh, <laughs> can't believe someone said that. Right. And, uh, and then at the same time, here's, here's the, the really bizarre clips at, at the same time that that happened computerization came in yeah. and it started to be and automation started coming in. and so now you we have a situation where you know manufacturing is so much more computerized and so much more automated and it's to be honest so much safer cleaner and more attractive 
Absolutely. So now it's kind of like we're almost going full circle where we almost have to say and promote that manufacturing is going to be our economy, not service-based. Yeah. And But you don't lose a generation or a generation and a half and don't feel the pain. Absolutely. So, uh, so that being said, you know, I think we have to have more Harry Moser, more Cherry Iverson's, you know, more podcasts like yours, more people willing to step up like you uh, and, and do something about it. Yeah. And sometimes it's, you know what, sometimes it's your time. Yeah. Uh, I've always chosen to spend my time uh, because I can make a big, bigger impact that way. Sure. But you know what, some people say, hey, I'll just write a check. And right. I'm like, it's all good. I need to meet more of those people. <laughs> you know what? Because I'm willing to give my time. I just need the cash. <laughs> um, you know what? And there's a balance there. Yeah. The people that can, can you know, we can't minimize people that are willing to spend the time. Yeah. We can't minimize people that are willing to, to write the check. Yeah. But we have to have both. Yeah. And so they complement each other. Absolutely. Uh, I've always felt mentoring young people has always been important to me. Anyone that, that's worked for me will tell you that. Um, they may not have always liked it, but. But they'll tell you that. And uh, and so the only people that we really need to to say call out are the people not doing either. Yeah. And you know what? There's too many people not doing either. Yeah. So either jump into the game or write a check. Both will help. Yep. And neither is better than the other. Yep. Agreed. So last question, uh, second to last question. If you had a billboard that you could place out there with a message from the industry to the world, what would it say? Well, I was, I was interviewed by one, uh, one younger man, not a young man, but a younger man on the south side of Chicago. And when I answered that question to him, south side of Chicago, I said, hope is not lost, manufacturing's for you. So I, I'm not going to say the same thing. But in that particular case, um, it, you know, we were talking about young men in the south side of Chicago yeah. that are living in poverty, and there's no reason for it. If they can just find their way to our, to our my customers' shops. Yep. But to your question, I will say, I would ask a question. Why is it a big secret? Why is manufacturing a big secret? Yeah. Become okay. part of the solution. Yeah. And so it, it speaks to literally what we're talking about, why I write the books, why I get on every podcast I can. And uh, no offense, this is no, we all, the most important one right now. <laughs> well, we, we all have our unique audiences and we all, we all work together, right? So like I said, I, I had dinner with Chris last night. We all, we have unique audiences, but we all also have unique messages. I talk about the people. A lot of other people talk about the tech. Some people more tech. I'm more people, less tech. Uh, I love the people of this industry. That's why I do this. So didn't mean to, to take away from your rant there. All so these that, are important. So, so that that's what I would say is my second uh, answer to a billboard question. Which is, yeah. Why is manufacturing secret? Success is waiting for you in manufacturing. Wow. And uh, and you know, in one of the things that I, I said, if I ever got to the Boeings of the world, the Caterpillars of the world, the IBMs, the you know, the Northrop Drummonds, is look, I can my organization can do an advertising program, just can't do it for free. Yeah. And um, you know, telling other people's stories about success story. You know, young people, Josimer Mendez, yeah, in my second book that you read, yeah. he's a plant manager, nine years out of high school. Yeah. Didn't even he's at one of the best manufacturing high school in the Midwest, and he never even took a manufacturing program, and yet somehow he still found his way into manufacturing by accident. Right, he's a plant manager in nine years. I love it. I love it, Jerry. What didn't I ask you that you want to share with my audience? Well, you covered so much, and and you've been very uh, very engaging in asking what you know what message I want to promote. I think the only thing that I haven't said is, you know, you know, do what you can and and join join the cause, which I've said in different ways. Uh, it doesn't have to be my cause; it can be the cause. Absolutely. But uh, you know, I think 
people sometimes get the wrong idea that that I'm trying to sell books, and, and I'm not. I'm trying to get books in hand, sure. and I'm trying to get the message to people to make a difference. Yeah. I mean, I've lost tens of thousands of dollars with each book that I've written. It's not, a, not about the money. Yeah. It's about getting the message and putting the resource in the hands of people that can change their lives. Absolutely. And so I think we covered that, but I think we need to end it there. No, I think that's a very important message. Thank you very much, Terry. I appreciate you being on. This has been an awesome conversation. It, it's been one that we've built up for a couple months, maybe, at this point. Um, and it just so happened that we were both going to be here. So this was the best time to do it. Um, really appreciate your time stepping away from the booth. Um, one thing that I do want to add, we we're talking about uh, women and people of color. I look around this show and I don't see many of either. So we still got a lot of work to do. You know what? You know, I started this message over 10 years ago. And uh, there needs to be more progress in the next 10 years than there has to find it now. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much, Sherry. Have a great Thanks. great day. Uh, folks, as we wrap up uh, another amazing episode with the luminary, I think is the best word for it, Terry Iverson. Uh, we talked about family legacies spanning almost a century to initiatives like Champion Now and Camp Champ. Terry definitely showed us what it means to live and breathe manufacturing. You're in, as inspired as I am, and I know you are. Head over to Manufacturing Culture Podcast to catch this episode and all of our previous episodes. Trust me, it's a treasure trove of wisdom and inspiration of other people that you don't want to miss. I want to give a huge thank you to our fantastic sponsor, Speroni, for their absolutely unwavering support. Without them, our mission to elevate the world of manufacturing and culture within it just wouldn't be possible. So before you rush off to implement all these golden nuggets from Terry today, uh, do us a quick favor. Share this podcast with your friends, your family, anyone who needs to hear Terry's incredible story and all about his initiatives. While you're at it, you could rate and review the show. That would be phenomenal because we get more exposure the more you rate and review uh, the show. Thank you very much for joining us today at WIMTS 2023. I'm Jim Mayer signing off from another exciting episode of the Manufacturing Culture Podcast. Until next time, keep working ahead, keep making things, and have a great day.